0: I apologize in advance for what you're about to see. All right, there we go. Well, good morning and welcome again to Prairie View Christian Church. We appreciate you being here with us today. Last summer, we spent seven weeks in the book of 1 Timothy. The Apostle Paul had sent his young associate Timothy to the church in Ephesus. And Timothy was to act as a consultant of sorts, dispatched to provide leadership and stability for the believers in Jesus there. That church was facing immense pressure from without. Thoroughly pagan city of Ephesus was rough terrain for Christian ministry. On top of that, the church had plenty of problems from within, mainly in the form of false teaching. Timothy's charge is to strengthen the church there through appointing good leaders, refuting error, and being an example of personal maturity and godliness. This is all for God's glory, all for the good of God's church, referred to in 1 Timothy as God's household. So over the next six weeks, we're going to check back in with Timothy. But this time through Paul's second letter. A lot has changed since Paul last wrote. Paul is no longer a free man traveling on the road. He sits in a prison in Rome. In 1 Timothy, Paul came across as bold, at times brash, and maybe even a bit bossy as he gives Timothy his marching orders. And as he lays down rules for the church's structure. But in 2 Timothy, Paul comes across as more subdued, more somber, more reflective. In this letter, he writes less like a drill sergeant issuing commands to a soldier and more like a father teaching his son. But in addition to Paul changing, Timothy has changed as well. He's still young, but he's not getting any younger. And more than anything, Timothy appears to be beaten down and discouraged. The unique challenges of leading a church in a place like Ephesus and the headaches caused by the false teachers there may have started to pile up, may have started to take a toll on Timothy. So it can be argued that one of the biggest reasons Paul wrote this letter is to give Timothy a gentle and compassionate but also firm and direct, kick in the pants. Paul is encouraging Timothy not to give up, even though he is understandably tired. So in short, these two men, Paul and Timothy, have been changed, seasoned by hardship, since we last read about them. In their own ways, both of these men are suffering in their service to Christ, Paul believes the end of his service is coming soon. And let's be honest, Timothy may be hoping that his is coming as well. Ultimately, Paul will be proven right. These are the apostles' final recorded words in the New Testament. But before Paul dies, he gives some useful words of wisdom, warning, and worship to his friend Timothy as he navigates the often difficult road of following Jesus and being faithful to his mission. And these words of wisdom, warning and worship aren't just a source of grace to Timothy. They can be a source of grace to us as well. So go ahead and open up to 2nd Timothy chapter one, verse one. Feel free to follow along as we go. But before we read, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for the opportunity to worship. And I pray that you would watch over us as we do that. Uh, It's so easy to think back over the past year and everything we've been through and what it's been like. And it's also so easy to think ahead and when are things going to change and when are things going to get better and That's all well and good, and it's healthy to think about those things to a degree, but at the same time, Lord, help us just think about today for right now. Help us focus on worshiping you right now with full hearts and full minds filled with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. We get the privilege of reading and learning from and teaching. And Lord, thank you for your church. Again, thank you for these people in this place at this time. The church is much bigger than just these people in this place at this time, but Lord, we especially thank you for this church. We glorify you, we love you, we honor you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, starting in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul... An Apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So why does Paul feel the need to formally introduce himself in verse 1? I mean, Timothy already knows who Paul is. They've been friends. They've been brothers in Christ. They've been ministry partners for years. Way back in Acts 16, Paul took the promising young Timothy under his wing. And since then, they have been through battles together. They have suffered together. They know each other front and back. So why the formal introduction? Well, some argue that Paul introduced himself this way because he knew that others who didn't know him as well as Timothy did would end up reading this letter, too. Others say that Paul simply did it out of habit or custom. You just always introduce yourself this way. And both of those explanations are perfectly reasonable. But, you know, I can't help but wonder if there isn't something more going on here. I can't help but think that Paul introduces himself this way. An apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus... I can't help but think that Paul introduces himself this way to remind himself, to remind Timothy of his calling. To remind them of their calling. You see, when you're suffering as a Christian, as Paul and Timothy both are when this letter is being written and read, you need to be reminded of who you are. You need to be reminded of your calling in Christ Jesus if you are going to endure. In times of acute hardship, pain, and loss. Or even just in times of general frustration and exhaustion and confusion. It's so easy to lose sight of who you are in Christ. It's so easy to get discouraged and distracted or dissuaded in your faith and in your mission. It's easy to forget who God has graciously said you are and what God has graciously called you to do. Who's Paul? Paul's an apostle according to the will of God. Who's Timothy? Timothy is set apart for service and leadership to God's church. That's likely what verse 6 is referring to, the part about Paul's laying hands on Timothy. And who are you? Christian, you are a justified saint. You are an adopted child of the Father. You are a commissioned servant of the Lord Jesus. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that, even when the going gets tough. So first, Paul reminds Timothy of his calling, their calling. Second, Paul assures Timothy that he is not alone. In some ways, I imagine that Timothy felt pretty isolated. We don't meet his biological father anywhere in the New Testament, All we know is that he was a Greek. His mother was Jewish, but Timothy was not circumcised as a child the way he should have been according to the law of Moses. Which likely means that Timothy never really fit in with his fellow Jews. On top of that, Timothy is facing pressure from non-believers, still dealing with opposition from false teachers who claim to be fellow believers, And his closest friend, Paul, his mentor, his partner in ministry, his father in the faith, is close to death. Timothy must have felt awfully alone. But Paul assures Timothy that he is not alone. Paul remembers Timothy in his prayers. Verse 3. Paul remembers Timothy's tears. Verse 4. Timothy is Paul's beloved child. Verse 2. Lois's grandson and Eunice's son. Verse 5. And their faith lives on in him. In short, Timothy isn't nearly as alone as he feels. When you're suffering as a believer, it's easy to feel alone. So if you're going to press on in your faith... And press on in your mission. You need fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters in Christ around you. You need to know that you're not alone. Paul needed Timothy. Timothy needed Paul. You need me and I need you. We all need each other. One of the biggest lessons of the pandemic is that isolation especially during times of sickness and death and uncertainty, can do grave spiritual, emotional, and even physical damage to people. And when Christians isolate ourselves, we are much more susceptible to being lulled into complacency, misled into foolishness, and tempted into sin. And there is nothing that Satan likes more. Like an animal out in the wild, we are easier to pick off when we aren't traveling in a pack. So, if we're going to endure in our calling to follow Jesus, we need to know that we're not alone. We need others to keep us in their prayers, see and understand our tears, and encourage us in our faith. So, first, Paul reminds Timothy of his calling. Next, Paul assures Timothy that he's not alone. And third, in the season of discouragement, Paul challenges Timothy. In verse 6, the word used for fanning into flame gets at the idea of rekindling an ember that was glowing at one time, but is now dangerously close to being extinguished. The grind of taking up his cross daily and following Jesus has left Timothy running on fumes. The day-in, day-out challenge of doing ministry in an environment that was often hostile to him has left Timothy, literally and metaphorically, burnt out. We've all been there. It may have reached the point that Timothy is unwilling to do and say the hard things that God has called him to. Hence Paul's words in verse 7. The word for fear in that verse can also be translated as timidity or even cowardice. It's possible that Timothy has found himself shying away from his mission. Intimidated to obey God's calling when it is so much easier to simply be quiet. So what does Paul do? He challenges Timothy. God has not called Timothy to cower in fear. He's called him to persevere in faith. Not weakness in the face of difficulty. Power. Not hatred or anger towards those who have made his life and his ministry so hard. Love. Not being driven to recklessness or obnoxiousness in response to his suffering. Self-control. Likewise, we too often need to be challenged to step up to the plate when the road of our faith and our mission is hard. We need proven, trusted, sound believers who can speak honestly and directly to us when we are teetering on the edge of giving up. And of course, that assumes that we're willing to listen. So who do you have in your life? Who do you have in this church who can challenge you to persevere in faithfulness when your flame for Christ needs to be fanned? When you are dangerously close to burning out? Which brother or sister do you trust to wake you up out of fear, timidity, and cowardice and admonish you to live with a spirit of power, love, and self control? If you don't have anyone who can do that, if you haven't let someone do that for you, then now's the time to find them. Now's the time to listen to them. So, to recap, Paul's done a few things for the discouraged Timothy up to this point. Number one, he's reminded him of his calling in Christ. Number two, he's assured him that he's not alone. And number three, he's challenged him to press on in his mission. But there is one more thing that Paul does for Timothy in these verses. There's something else that Timothy needs if he's going to endure. Something else we need if we're going to endure. It's something so basic, something so elementary that everything else depends on it. Something you may think goes without saying, but trust me, it doesn't. Paul simply gives Timothy the gospel. He gives him the good news. Paul never forgot whose apostle he was, who chose him, who sent him, who he belonged to. He belonged to Jesus Christ. Paul had a promise of life in Christ Jesus that no Roman chains could take from him. He had a promise of life beyond his own death that was getting closer every day. And Timothy had that same promise. He had the promise of life in Christ Jesus that no suffering, no hardship, no opposition could take away from him either. And so do you. So do I. Every believer in Jesus has this promise of life in Christ Jesus. And our sufferings, No matter which form they take, they cannot rob us of our eternal reward that has been secured for us by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Our sins have been forgiven by his body and his blood. And that is good news. So when you're feeling discouraged, beaten down, burnout, on the edge of giving up in the marathon that is faithfulness to Jesus. Be reminded of your calling. Don't let hardship cause you to forget who you are in Christ. In his first letter, Peter reminds suffering believers of just that. He simply tells them who they are. He calls them elect Sanctified, sprinkled with Jesus' blood, born again to a living hope. They're recipients of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven. They're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. They are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. All of that is true of you. That is who you are in Christ. And it does not change. No matter how much your circumstances do. Surround yourself with fellow believers. And be assured that you are not alone. Don't isolate yourself. Paul tells the church in Corinth that they are one body with many members. And all these members depend on each other. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Do not isolate yourself when times are hard. The moments that you are most tempted to withdraw from your brothers and sisters in Christ are likely the moments you need them most. Allow a brother or sister to openly, humbly, but also directly challenge you to press on. And when they do, listen. The author of Hebrews knew that his church was suffering. And they weren't suffering in just some vague, generalized way. They were dealing with targeted persecution for their faith. But he still challenges them to not throw away their confidence. He tells them to lift their drooping hands and strengthen their weak knees. He calls them to endure. You need fellow believers who can give you a healthy dose of tough love. You need fellow believers who can urge you to keep going in your faith, even when the wind is against you and you're tired. And last, remember your eternal reward. You have a promise of life secured for you by Jesus himself. Even if you've heard the gospel a million times, it's been drilled into your head. You can recite all the right words and terms and doctrines and verses. Keep it front and center in your heart and mind. You can never know it too well. You can never hear it too much. Paul did all of those things for Timothy in just the first seven verses of this final letter. And he didn't just do it for Timothy. He's done it for us as well. There are two astounding words in this passage that we haven't even really dwelt on this morning. You see them in verse 3. Those two words are clear conscience. Clear conscience. It's amazing that Paul can say he has a clear conscience considering everything he did earlier in life. In 1st Timothy chapter 1, Paul makes no bones about the sin he was guilty of. He was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of Jesus and his followers. He was ignorant in unbelief. And yet somehow, even as he writes his last words, knowing his death is imminent, Paul says he has a clear conscience. A clear conscience. That is only possible through the gospel. The good news of the Son of God's sinless life, sacrificial death on the cross, and victorious resurrection from the dead. All who believe in Jesus, you and me, can have a clear conscience as well. We can know with certainty that our debt has been paid. No matter what our debt was. No matter what it is that we did. Of course, that's no guarantee that you'll have an easy life. Far from it. But you will have a calling from God. You will have a spiritual family. You will have a purpose worth living for, suffering for, and even dying for. You will have a promise of life after death. And it will all be thanks to Jesus. So believe in him. Follow him. Obey him. Trust in the spirit's power. And keep the faith. Even when it's hard. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time to read your word. Thank you for this time reading Paul's letter to Timothy, because so many of us, I'm sure, can relate to Timothy in multiple ways. Just feeling beaten down and discouraged and burnt out and on the edge of giving up. So, Lord, I pray that we would take these words from Paul to Timothy and realize that in your power, with the power of your word, these are words for us as well. So I pray that we would remember our callings, that we would know that we're not alone. Lord, that you would build us up and challenge us through these words, and that we would keep the gospel, keep the good news at the forefront of our hearts and our minds day in and day out. When times are good, when times are bad, when times are easy, when times are hard, Lord, remind us of the gospel. Remind us of who we belong to. Remind us of who we serve. Remind us of our brothers and sisters. Remind us of our mission, of our calling. Lord, remind us that you've given us power and love and self-control. Help us live in ways that reflect that. Lord, remind us that we have a promise of life in eternity. That nothing we deal with in this life can take away from us. We love you, we honor you, we worship you. Thank you for this people, this place, this time we've had together. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.